Amen. I believe that today is April 5th, 2017. The title of tonight's sermon is True Success. True Success. Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13, which is where we're going to start this evening. It's an interesting passage to start from, but uh, this entire chapter is going to provide a framework for us to see what the Lord is speaking to us tonight about. Amen? Are you there? Deuteronomy chapter 13. I know that the, always when I call out the first one, everybody's trying to get their notebooks ready. You're going to need your notebook tonight. If you're, uh, if you're new or newer to us, if all goes well and all goes according to plan, we will have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 35 scriptures that we're going to look at tonight. That's a fairly normal. It's, if you've been here, you're like, yeah, so we're going light tonight, Pastor. Yes, we're going light tonight just because I love you. Um, about 30 or 35 passages of scripture, if I hit them all. And um, we are a church that is serious about the word of God. We believe in the word and in the spirit of God. We believe that if we have those two things, like weapons of righteousness in our right hand and our left, with the word and the spirit, that we will be able to accomplish exactly what God wants us to accomplish. Deuteronomy chapter 13 in verse 1. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder. Verse 2. And if the sign or wonder which he has spoken takes place. So this is not a false prophet in the sense that what he said did not take place. This is actually a person who says, hey, this miracle is going to take place and it does. And then he says, let us follow other gods. Gods you have not known. And let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The, word, the Lord your God is testing you. Everybody say testing. testing. Huh. The Lord actually tests us. He's testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Um, Susan, would you put up Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, there's a couple of different ways to look at this, this passage of scriptures. This is, in the Jewish culture, this is the beginning of the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Shema. It's actually the word for to hear and to obey. To hear something and to put it in, in practice. That is, this is Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all of your heart your soul, and your strength. We always look at that and see the segments of who we are as people. Love the Lord with your heart. Love the Lord with your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Love the Lord with all of your strength. In this church, we've been taught well, and we know that these correspond to the three parts of the Older Testament, the Tanakh, the Torah. What does it do? It inclines our heart. It sets us going in the right direction. What do the prophets do? They warn our soul. What makes a, a prophet a prophet is they're warning you. Hey, if you do what God wants you to do, you will be blessed. If you don't do what God tells you to do, you will be cursed. Throughout the history of time, we see that. And the writings, what do they do? They direct our strength, our heart, our soul, and our strength. I look at this scripture tonight. I just want to encourage you with this. Love the Lord your God with all. It's showing you the different parts of what the all includes. I don't look at this tonight in the, from the perspective of it's showing you the segmented parts of who we are, right? Well, I'm, I'm going to love the Lord with my heart, 
but my soul's a little squirrely and my strength is totally random. Right? Well, then you're not loving the Lord with all yet. You can't do this the way that it's prescribed to you by going, I will now love the Lord with all my heart and I'll work on the other two later. Now I've got my heart and maybe my soul. Now I'm going to work on my strength. No, the Lord, it says, love the Lord your God. Here's another way that we can look at this verse. It says, you can either look at this like it's a commandment. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your strength. Or you can look at it as a promise from the Lord. You will be able to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Which way are you hearing it tonight? When we came in, before I said that, I usually hear this as the commandment for us to do something. Amen. Good. That is correct. I want you to also understand this is also a promise to us that if we do things the way that he instructs us, you know what happens inside of us? We start loving him with all. We start going, I don't know of any areas in my life that I don't love the Lord. And you know what happens if he shows me something where I'm really not loving him with all yet? I want to fall on my face on the ground and go, I'm so sorry. I thought I was loving you with all and it was all that I knew how to do. And now you're revealing something else to me. So I'll do it now with that kind of all. And then tomorrow, if you show me something else, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you that part of me too. That it's all that I know how, and that's still not the all that it's speaking of. I'm, I'm, you're going to help me to do this, Lord. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or one who foretells, by verse 1, by dreams, appears among you, appears is there in your midst and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder. And if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, this freaks me out just a little bit. This blows my brain just a little bit. The, the connections just start kind of... If someone prophesies these things and it happens, hold up. Hold up. Don't, I mean, Lord, I want to lay my hands on people. I want to see them, I want to be able to declare a miracle and it happens in, in front of somebody. You know, it must be that the miracles and the signs can be used to aid our understanding, but it's not supposed to be what defines our understanding. Because these things actually happen. But what, are you, what is the criteria of success? If you look at this first verse or two, you go, man, this is a successful prophet. This is a successful dreamer. This person is saying it, and it happens. Let's put this in more realistic terms for us just for a minute. There are people who have a hard time looking at anyone else and going, hey, you know what? That guy's getting into error. Oh, no, brother. That man may be getting into error, but, I mean, he does. He can prophesy. Like, he's incredibly accurate when he prophesies. Really, is that the standard? Is your talent supposed to be your standard? Is something that God gave you supposed to be the standard of whether you're actually being successful or not? As a matter of fact, sometimes the Lord moves in spite of us. <laughs> okay, let's be honest. Most of the time, the Lord moves in spite of us because someone else is in need. Do you know why God gives us prophecy? To encourage the body of Christ. It'll encourage you in the process. We're supposed to desire, eagerly desire, it says in 1, Chronicles, uh, 1 Corinthians 14. We're supposed to eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. We should desire that. But you know what? That's not a sign to me as a pastor that you're even doing what you're supposed to do. 
Let us follow other gods is what he begins to say. Gods that you have not known and let us worship them. Would you hold your place? Just put a marker in Deuteronomy 13 because we're going to come back to this a lot. Would you look in Exodus chapter 20? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. It says this, And God spoke all these words. Well, thank you very much. Here's what He spoke. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. When I was growing up, I thought, here are the Ten Commandments. Verse 3 is where I thought the Ten Commandments started. But he began speaking in verse 2. Verse 2 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then it says, verse 3, this is the continuation of the thought, you shall have no other gods before me. Many of you may have a little footnote in your Bible besides the word before. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods besides me. You shall have no other gods alongside of me. You know, what happens in most people's lives is not that they just replace God. What we have a tendency to do as human beings is we have things that we put alongside of God. We put our preferences, we put our desires, we put our thoughts, we put we want what we want. And what God is saying in Deuteronomy, what he started in Exodus is saying, you can't do that. You cannot handle that. To have things that we put on par with him. Let me ask you a quick question about this though. You shall have no other gods before me. Are there really any other gods? No. No. Right? We believe that there is only one true and living God. So what is he saying? He's not only saying you should have no other items, no other things that are, that are trying to be on par with me. He's also saying you should have no one else's gods that you put on the same par as me. You shall have no other gods or you shall have no gods of other people, no God of others that are besides me. Back to Deuteronomy. Verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. If the signs and wonders of which you have spoken takes place. Let's go back to that for a second. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 7? Exodus chapter 7. And let's read verse 11. Here's just a few singular scriptures to help us understand this. Exodus 7, 11. It says this. Uh, actually, let's start in verse 10 so we get it better in context. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Verse 11, Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a stake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Can you, okay, you guys know the picture, right? You remember the story? They're there, they're before Moses and Aaron are before Pharaoh. Aaron goes, bam, throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. I would have freaked out like a little girl, ah! and run off. Not so much the snake, but the idea that he threw a stick down on the ground and became a snake. I'm like, whoa, we got a little double thing going here. I'm just going gonna to see myself right out of the room. These other guys, what did they do? They actually had false miracles that they did. They did, 
they, they, they were able to replicate some of them. Take a look at verse 22. Some of them. <laughs> but the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Let's look in Matthew chapter 24. Quickly turn to Matthew chapter 24. And verse 24. Matthew 24, 24. It says this, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. Let's take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We used to have things called sword drills back when I was a kid. It was, they'd call out a scripture and see who's the first one to find it. We're doing a little bit of that tonight, right? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth. By the way, when our God stands up, it's not like there's even a fight that can happen. Just... With the very blowing of his mouth, he can destroy the enemy and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. That perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. What are we really getting at tonight? Part of what we're going to get at at defining true success is that you can't even use what your eyes see. You can't even use what your ears hear. Thank you for that verse earlier during, during worship. You cannot judge things by what you see. Steve read out of uh, Isaiah 11, I believe it was, and it shows that, that the sevenfold Spirit of God is there to give us what? To give us an understanding that you can't get by your natural eye, that you can't understand by your natural ear, no matter how perceptive you are. We have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 and 20, verse 20. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. We've gone from the beginning of time in Exodus to the end of recorded human history, which is at the end of the book of Revelation, and we see that there are signs that if you trust in only what you see, you're going to get deceived. If you only trust in what you can comprehend, what you can wrap your brain around, the enemy is looking to use that to deceive you. He is looking to pull you off track. Let's turn to Galatians 5 since we are close. Galatians 5. I know I'm going fast on some of these scriptures. I just trust that you guys can handle it. Galatians 5. And let's start in verse 19. says this, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Everybody say obvious. obvious. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. We're actually living in a Christian culture, in a Christian society that doesn't actually find the acts of the sinful nature obvious. 
We can't actually say. When it's obvious to us, we're like, well, who am I to judge? Well, who are you not to if you see these things happening? The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality should be obvious to us. Impurity should be obvious to us. Debauchery. Well, that's a good old-timey word. Idolatry. You know, we have a discipleship helps class that we're going to start, that we're going to take a look at scheduling it sometime beginning and later on in the year. We're going to do that again. This topic right here, this passage of Scripture, I still remember Justin Treister teaching on this passage. I thought it was one of the most excellent uh, expositions on a passage of Scripture. I will forever have this passage of Scripture related to Justin Treister in my mind. If you missed that, if you weren't here during that, you need to find somebody who has notes on this. How many of you were here when, when Justin taught on that? Yeah, most of us, right? If you weren't, most of the people in the room can help you. They will go find their notes. And what Justin did was this. He went through and defined each of these words. And at the beginning of this list, I have to be honest with you. I'm just going to be secretly honest with you. I went, I'm doing pretty good on this list. I mean, you know, I am a pastor. You know, I, should, I shouldn't be obviously doing most of these things. And after, after Justin Treister got done defining it, I was like, gosh darn it. That one too? Ah! He went down that list and it was piercing. It was blistering. And I loved every second of it. Because I still remember it. Acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Debauchery. Idolatry. I'm going to come back to that word just a second. Witchcraft. Well, that's not me. I mean, witchcraft. You remember what that word was, Justin? Pharmakia. The word for witchcraft there is pharmakia. Pharmacy? Medicines? Ooh. Now hold up now, Pastor. I'm not even going to get into that. I'm just throwing that out there. Hatred. Discord. Now we're getting to ones that, that, that are a little bit easier for us to tolerate and admit that we do readily, right? Jealousy. Ever been jealous? I was a school teacher. And I remember that the, the student, I was at a private school, so the student parking lot was so much nicer than the teacher parking lot. It was. We were like, ka-doo, ka-doo, ka-doo. The key was already off. That was just my car finishing. I had turned it off, and I was getting out, and it was still, What's up? Mr. Sullen's here. How you doing? That was when I was principal, by the way, so... The kid who had the brand new BMW that wrecked it the weekend before. So the parents thought in honor of really teaching their child a lesson, they bought them a bigger, nicer one. <laughs> Lord, I don't want to be jealous of this child. But I do want to punch them right in the throat right now, right? Jealousy. Fits of rage. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Fits of rage. Oh, that's just my temper. Yeah, it's your temper. It's also obvious that it's a sinful nature. Doesn't matter how, who, what, what background you come from. We're Irish, so we're just angry. What? 
I have this heritage in me. No, you have the sinful nature at work in you. Quit blaming it on something that you have no control over. This is the sinful nature at work in you. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions trying to pull people towards your side and away from someone else. You know why? Because it's easier, because you make yourself feel better. Do you know what they did to me? No, I don't know and I don't care. Have you talked to the right person? Then go talk to them. Don't tell me about what... Do you know, Pastor? Hey, what, Daniel did something? Hey, Daniel, come here. Let's all talk right here. Bam. <laughs> Let's not put up with these things because these are actually obvious. You know how a little kid will do something and they think they've gotten away with it? Especially the, little, the smaller the kid. If they're really little, did you poop in your diaper? Uh-uh. <laughs> it's obvious. Can I encourage you? We should be looking at each other with the same type of sober judgment that says, <laughs> it's just as obvious. When you're walking around in your sinful nature like this, it's just as obvious. Let's focus in on idolatry for just a moment. I want to encourage us tonight. I feel something specific here for this room, for this group of people. I don't really have to go through scriptures that say idolatry is bad, do I? I mean, really, if I have to do that tonight, then you're in the wrong place. Actually, you're probably in the perfect place. Idolatry. Obviously, it's not something. What are we doing with idolatry? Actually, the reason that we read Exodus 20 and verse 3 earlier was we're not supposed to have anything alongside of the Lord. And as believers, we go, hey, amen, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to love you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. Let me encourage you to evaluate this. Have you made your definition of success an idol in your own life? What do you define as success? What we should be defining as success is, did you or did you not do exactly what the Lord told you to do? Amen, brother. We're behind you. Okay, so tell me this. After you get done with something, uh, get done preaching in prison, get done doing something during the day, and you did exactly what you were supposed to do, but what happens? I can assure you, if you get up on a stage enough times... If you preach in front of people enough times, you're going to get done with one of them and be like, I need to quit. I just need to stop doing this because what that was was terrible. What we should be measuring ourselves against is not how we feel, not what we think, not what our emotions tell us, but what? Rather, what God told you. Did, did you do exactly what he told you to do? Well, then yes, then you were successful. But I did what God, I thought God told me to do, and I lost. Amen. Today was a success for you. But I lost money. Yep, praise God. Because you did what God told you to do, and it doesn't matter the cost. I did what God told me to do, but I feel insecure. I don't care. Put your insecurities aside and say, the true definition of success was that the Lord told me to do something, and I did it. The Lord gave me a word to give, and I gave it. The Lord told me to go pray for somebody, and I went and prayed for him. The Lord told me to repent, so I dropped to my knees and I repented. That makes you a success. There are far too many people, even in our church, even in this church that I think is the, it's the best church, I don't think, it's the best church that I've ever been a part of. By far, it's the best church that I've ever been a part of. I love you guys like crazy. And you know what I know about us in this room tonight? is that you may have an idol set up that you've defined as success in your life. You know why? Because you chase after this thing 
in whatever, however you're defining it, rather than pure obedience to the Lord. I'm going to make myself against someone else. I'm going to try to stack up against Elder Charlie, and when I don't, then I feel bad. Instead of going, did Elder Charlie do what he was supposed to? Yeah, probably. Did I do what God told me to do? Then I'm a success. I don't care if anybody else agrees. I don't care if I feel like it. I don't care if my bank account shows it. I don't care about any of that because if I did what God told me to do, then I'm a success. I'm not wrong because there's a struggle. I'm being a success because I'm being obedient. Do you have that tenacity? If we're really going to be talking about fighting correctly... Right? The last few services have been about fighting and doing it the right way and fighting the good fight and having a just war. Then you know what you need to also learn? That you can't define your success by what you can see. Or you make your own thoughts, your own perception, an idol in your life. I don't feel like a success. That's not the standard. You know what our church keeps trying to do and we're going to keep doing over, over for the, as long as we're alive? As long as this is a church, you know what we're going to keep doing? is saying, this is the standard. We all have to come up to that. We don't get to lower the standard. I don't get to tell you 17 ways for you to be successful. Brother, if you just do what the Lord wants you to do, He will make you healthy, happy, and wise. I, that, no. You might do what God tells you to do and get punched in the face. You might do exactly what God tells you to do and feel like a failure. You might do exactly what God tells you to do, go exactly where He tells you to go, and feel like, Lord, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I've felt that. i felt that many times. I moved to Austin after a 15-year education career. I was in a part of a big church. I was like, man, this is it. And we got there, and we had the worst financial time of our entire lives. Lord, why have you forsaken me? I'm, I can kid around about it now. We were being crushed. I was like, Lord, I did exactly what you said, and I'm, I'm losing money. I've lost resources. I don't seem to be excelling in the ways that I think. I went and did this, and it doesn't seem to be working out. What's going on? Just be quiet. What God was doing was ripping an idol out of my heart. It, was, it had gotten tentacles. My definition of success as the nerd boy in school was that I had to do something and it had to work out at the other end of it for me to be successful. It was an idol, ladies and gentlemen. I had an idol of what success was in my life. And I didn't know it. I didn't know that I was holding on to it. I had an idol in my life and it was just... It might as well have been a statue in my living room because it was what I revolved my entire life around. I'm going to work harder. You know why? Because I want to feel like a success. Why? Because I want people to recognize me as success. Why? Because I, I don't know why. Because I'm not, let God, I'm not letting God fill that part of my heart. I'm worried about what other men think. I'm making them an idol in my life. I'm afraid of what that person, specifically that one. I can say I don't worry about what anybody says, but that guy, it bothers me what they say. That guy, whoever that guy is. That, that for, some, for some reason, it matters to me. I'll, I'll, I'll say things that I shouldn't say. 
I'll try to name drop and, and explain to you what I just did that was right so you'd see me, so you would accept me. What's wrong with me? God went, rip. Ow! That hurt. Thank you, Lord. Everything you do is perfect. Your ways are righteous and just. If he put me somewhere, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go, God, you're right. I don't understand it. I don't have to understand it. If you put me somewhere, I'm going to dive in with both feet, heart as, as wide as I can get it, arms out wide. I'm just going to jump in and, and do whatever you have for me right there. You know why? Because I'm going to be a success in your eyes. That's a much harder thing to be than what we are. You want to define yourself by how many things you can get right, by how much is going on, by how what other people receive you. None of it matters. And until we actually get there, you know what we do? We put everyone else alongside of our God. Wow. And we don't know it. What God is saying, back to Deuteronomy, chapter 13. Are you guys tracking with me here tonight? Is what I'm saying making any sense? I hope so. Verse 2, And if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, well, that looks like a success, doesn't it? That's why this passage is so hard on people to gather. If he's a success in this area, but he's not lining up with the Scripture, then he's no success at all. As a matter of fact, verse 3, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Oh, amen. Don't listen to him. Okay. La, 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 la. No. It continues to go on. The Lord your God is testing you. Everybody say testing. testing. He's testing you. In the Hebrew, this is number 5254, and the word is Nasa. This is from the Hebrew. If you don't understand, we'll be glad to explain more of this to you after. I'm just going to do, for those of you who have folks in different levels of understanding of the Scripture, I'm going to do this for you. These are the letters. It's a noon a samic and a hay. Okay? This word is the word for testing. This is the word for testing. It's a noon, which can mean sun or continue or air in the Hebrew. It's a psalmic. Don't use psalmics very much unless you've done this a while. It's a thorn. means to hate or to grab or protect. And the hay, which is look, revelation, or to breathe. Okay? <laughs> this word for testing here is what? It's for us to continue. He's going to see. We're going to continue to grab and protect his revelation in our life. That's what testing does. Testing is good for us. Somebody say, testing is good, testing is good. For, me. for me. It's good for us. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. And verse 1. Genesis 22, 1 says this. Sometime later, <laughs> you person that likes a lot of specificity, 
sometime later. That's what it feels like when you're in the middle of something going on. You're like, Lord, surely you have forgotten about me. And he's like, yeah, but when you go back and tell this story, it'll just be, yeah, sometime later. I was doing this for a long time and then God did something different. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. God wanted to see if Abraham would continue to grab and protect the revelation that he had. This is the chapter that Abraham's about to offer his son Isaac on the altar. And God responds, how? Now I know. Why? Because I put you to the test and you passed the test. Come on, y'all understand this, right? Right? You're, you're, in, you're in school back in the day. Man, I got this. Well, we'll see after the test is done. I can't tell you how many kids are like, Mr. Sutherland, I got this. I know what's going on. I'm like, we'll see after you get my test. <laughs> yeah, you don't know nearly as much as you thought you knew. Testing is good because not only does it show the Lord, it shows us what we know or don't know. It's a, it's a progress report for us. We're like, man, I thought I was further along in that. Eh, well, amen. Let's put it to the test. Can you continue to grab and protect his revelation or do you immediately abandon it? Uh-oh. Are you in this church and you hear tons of incredible preaching? I do. Man, Pastor Eric, most, I love that brother. God, could preach like he was an oracle from heaven. Pastor Matt will pound you into the ground and, and like a locomotive come and lead worship in this place. That's the way I always, I always classify Pastor Matt. And I mean it very, very affectionately. He's like a locomotive when he leads worship. It's just... <laughs> ah! Peyton did an incredible... Man, I love this place. I love to hear Avambola pray. I stand at attention when Justin Treister starts to prophesy because I know he's, he's got something good. Man, I, I love this house. I love these guys. I love what God is doing, but are you guilty of being here and not putting the things into practice? How many of you have ever used a scripture note card in this, in this church? Anybody? Anybody ever used a scripture note card? Anybody ever been lazy with using your scripture note cards? Did you memorize them all yet? No? Why? Because we just get lazy. We want to run and get some help when it gets really tense. Ah, oh, Kim, help me. This is terrible. My life is going bad. Kim will give me godly counsel. And I'll put it into practice for the five minutes that while I'm uncomfortable. And then once I get comfortable again, I'm like, thanks. Whew, that was good. Good word. I'm going to leave it right over there for a little while. If we understand that when the Lord is testing us, He wants to see if we can continue to grab and protect the revelation that he's given us. How are you doing with this church's revelation that you're receiving? Are you continuing to grab it, to, to take it in, to grasp it and to protect it? Or do we just go, man, that was another great sermon. Hey, what did he talk about? I don't know. It was good. <laughs> yeah, you're not continuing to grab and protect it. You've got gold, gold nuggets just sprinkled around you and you're like, eh, just kick them off to the side so you can walk through it. 
hold up. You know why? Because there's a day of testing that's coming. If you're not in it right now, you'll be in it tomorrow. Don't worry. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to lay down our idols and go, this is so valuable to me that, Lord, I'm going to pass the test that you put me in. I'm going to pass it. I'm going to do it every time. Turn to um, Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 25. Verse 25 says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. By the way, that word showed is not really the best word to interpret there. Look, it's a stick. No, he taught Moses about this. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. An actual small, small picture, a sowed, if you will, of the cross entering the bitterness of this world and making it so sweet. All the way back in Exodus. Going on. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them and there he tested them. It is God's nature to test us. It is a good thing and you should just expect that he will test you. Turn to Exodus chapter 16, one page over, and verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for, this, for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Do you realize that even God giving you manna can be a test for you? Even God putting you in a church like this who have the finest elders around who have some of the most godly people around that you'll ever want to be around, you know what happens? Is you can be tested by how much you're willing to go and follow God's instruction, even to get the manna and take it in. Wow. The Lord really does care about us. He really does test us. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Buddy read a scripture from this very passage. We're going to look at verse 31. 2 Chronicles 32, 31 says this, But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous signs that had occurred in the land, God left him. Well, God didn't like abandon him. He, put, he left him right there in that spot to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. Folks, we should know this by now in this church. You should know this. We say that God knows me. We say that God knows everything about me. Well, the problem is, is we don't understand who we are. What we mean is, well, God knows my heart is that we mean that he takes it much better than what we actually just did. But the way God knows your heart, heart is he watches you and he tests you. And what you do proves what your heart is. What you hold on to instead of God's word Pastor, we don't do that. Of course we do. When God gives you something in the Word and you think and feel something different and you allow your feelings and your thoughts to override directly what Scripture says, I'm afraid of this, so I made this decision. Okay, let's just be real clear. You were tested and you didn't pass that test. If you're making decisions out of fear, you will never please God. Never. No matter how sound your decisions are. No matter if your decisions even work out correctly. It's still not correct. 
if your decisions work out and you're okay. It didn't cause them, nothing broke and no fire started and we survived. You didn't do it the way God prescribed. You cannot be successful. I want you to be successful. I want you to be able to walk in an understanding, walk in a calling that understands not only the battles that are ahead, but the design that God has for your life so that we can walk in this and actually have a church that's truly successful. Turn to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. Joshua, Judges 3 and verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. God will leave problems in your life. Lord, please remove this problem. No. You need that struggle. You need the test to be there. You know why? Because he loves you and he wants to work out those things, those idols that you put in your life you don't realize and he wants to expose them so that he can deal with them. Let's turn to John chapter 6. When you switch from the Older to the Newer Testament, we're going from Hebrew into Greek. The equivalent word of Nassau is what we're going to look at here. John 6, 6. The equivalent word here in the Greek is 3985. Piriazo, which is to test or to try to approve. John 6, 6 says this. Uh, let's go to 6.5. I'm sorry, put it better in context. When, John, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Right before he feeds the 5,000. You realize that God will ask you questions like this to get to this? He asked this only to test him. For Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Hey, uh, what you going to do about that problem? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus does. That's why he's getting us to, to come to him. He's getting us, he's calling these things out. Sometimes God's asking a question, not because he's trying to show that you failed, but so that he can prepare you to be able to succeed. He's going to give you the opportunity to succeed here. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, 2. It says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. They've tested them. They evaluated it and have found them false. We know that that word they're found is it actually proclaims it. They've tested and they proclaim the results. We've got to be able to test and see that the Lord is good. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Are you all with me? Y'all staying with me here? Verse 3. Deuteronomy 13, 3. It says this. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love Him. He's testing you, folks. To find out whether you love Him. Well, it's not just whether you love Him. It's whether you love Him with all of your heart. And all of your soul. He's going to show you this. Verse 4. It is the Lord your God you must follow. That word for follow there is halakha. The Lord your God you must learn how to walk in His ways. 
and you and him you must revere. You know what the word for revere? I'm just going to totally blow up this verse, right? I'm going to show you. I'm going to kind of go through it because as I was looking at the Hebrew this afternoon, I went, "Wow." There's definitely a, a, an understanding that we have here, but since we have so many excellent Bible students in this place, it is the Lord your God, the Yahweh Elohim, you must halakha. You must walk in His ways. It's not just follow. It's your literally step for step. What you see your master doing, you are doing. What his life is, it is becoming that in you. And you must revere him. That word is yare. That word is you must fear the Lord. You must put him first. Do you understand? If we did the paleo for yare right now, you would see that what you fear the most is the same thing as what you worship the most. If you're afraid of failure, you know what you've just made your God? Success. I've got to be successful. I'm afraid that I won't be successful. Then you've just made success your God. Or you've made failure your God. Or you've made money your God. Or you've made comfort. Uh Uh-oh. Are you always looking for the comfortable way? The second that something becomes hard, are you automatically looking for a way to escape that? Are you afraid Are you afraid that you won't be able to do it? Then that is your God. What you fear is your God. It is what you worship. This is the Bible, folks. The way this says, it is the Yahweh, your Elohim, you must halakha. And him you must yare, or fear. Keep his mitzvahs, keep his commandments, and shma him. To listen and obey. Not just obey, but you've heard and you've understood and you put it into practice. Serve Him and cling to Him. It's almost like you're supposed to continue to grab and protect His revelation. It is the Lord your God you must halakha. You've got to walk in His ways, folks. This is how you're successful. If you're walking in His ways, it doesn't matter what the natural outcome is. We are, going, we are in a season. We're not going into where the Lord is asking us to battle for Him. I don't think that this is going to be a season that's going to be done by next week, by the way. Kind of defeats the point of calling it a season, right? We'd call it the week of. The battle week, like shark week on TV, right? Where there's a war week. Rah! Yeah, this is a season that we're going into that He's trying to sharpen us. And you know what happens? You know what happens in my house? It has been a tough two weeks. I feel like I've gotten hit with sticks half the day, man. Come home, you're like, is there a bruise right there? I, don't, I didn't even get, I, didn't, I don't know. I feel like I'm bruised. I'm worn out, like beyond belief. Oh, that's right. Because sometimes we think of spiritual warfare as only being when folks manifest a, a demon somewhere. That is spiritual warfare, no doubt. You know what it is? It's us on Monday night, having studied for five hours together, and six minutes before we walk out to everyone else, everything that we've studied vanishes from the computer that we're on. Um, We do it that way all the time. There was nothing. Why? Come on, pastor, you're blank. Little gremlins in the computer. No, I'm saying there's spiritual warfare, and sometimes we miss the fact of what it is. We miss sometimes the fact that it's just things in the natural realm, and we're like, oh, that's just a computer. Oh, that's just a battery. No, 
When you realize that there's an onslaught trying to keep you from accomplishing God's purpose, whatever the obstacle is, is something that we have to war against. Whatever the emotion is. Have you ever had a, a, a time with your spouse that you're like, I don't even know why I'm so mad at you. Everybody's like, no. <laughs> don't look up. <laughs> don't make eye contact with the pastor right now. Of course you have. Some of those are just human things, yes. And some of them are a spirit that's trying to get in there and cause division in your household. You know what you do? You keep running back to the Word of God. Huh? I'm very frustrated right now. But here's what the Word of God says. Here's, here's what we're going to do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it either. And we're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Please. <laughs> right? Folks, don't be deceived because the enemy's got a lot of different schemes, but they're really pretty obvious if you think about it. Because Ephesians 6 tells us what? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers in the, in the spiritual realm. Your primary problem is not your boss at work. It is not your spouse. It is not the kid that you're having a hard time getting under control. There are spiritual forces at work to try to drive you away from the real success that God has for you and make you feel like a failure. Because if the enemy can make you feel like a failure, you'll never actually try to achieve what God has for you because you're already defeated. He's already whooped you in your mind. You're like, I'm just looking for a soft place because I know he's going to knock me out here in a second. So I'm going to kind of... Pardon me for a second while I use a, a sports analogy. The only time you get hurt when you're playing football, not the only time, the main times you get hurt when you're playing football is when you decide that you're afraid to get hurt. You start pulling back, you start shading things a certain way, and that's actually when you get hurt. When you go out full force, you're actually safer than if you just start like, ugh, you start shying away from things, it's when you get hurt. Folks, in the spiritual realm, it's the same way. If you start shying away from things, you put yourself in a, uh, a disadvantaged position and the enemy can come and knock you out. If you already are expecting to fail because you're sitting in front of a computer, of course you're going to fail. You know why? Because you've already given the enemy the place to do If you know that you're going to fail and you think you're going to fail in a relationship, you act in a way that actually causes you to fail in the relationship. You cannot achieve godly results by doing them natural ways even if it looks like it on the outside. Well, our marriage works and we haven't done it according to the Bible. Well, then you're an anomaly. And I can assure you, you're not pleasing God as much as you think you are. You're not the success that you think you are if you've defined yourself by some other means. Guys, I hope you're hearing my heart tonight. I want us to be successful. Success is doing it the way that God says it. And we don't add and we don't take away from the way God tells us to do it. We don't do it that way. Let's, let's take a look at that. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm just going to give a few scriptures here. Deuteronomy chapter... Uh, Susan, maybe let's just throw some of these up on the screen. You guys hold your place in Deuteronomy 13. I'm sorry. We're just going to rattle through some of these rather quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 2. It says this. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it. Everybody look at me. Don't add to what the Lord says and don't take away from it. He doesn't need your help. Well, pastor, we're not going to add to the word. You do it all the time in your daily life. 
When you're afraid of an outcome that you don't like and you start doing something other than what God has said, when you're not operating in faith, you've just added or taken away from the word. God doesn't need you to help him, I promise. He doesn't. He actually wants you to learn that all you have to do is rely on him. All you have to do is put everything else aside and trust him and he will give you the right words to say. He, he will put you in the right place. He will cause all things to work for the good to those who are called, who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's going to work that out and he wants you to know it. So don't add or subtract. But what? But keep the commands of the Lord to God that you were given. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32. See that you do all I command you. Do not add or take away from it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That is, a, that is a verse that we say and we quote a lot in this church, don't we? If you don't notice that, I'm giving you a little hint. You should memorize that one because you'll hear it a lot. It will encourage you. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why? That we may follow all the words of His law. Why does God give you revelation at all? So you can achieve what His word says. Isaiah 55, 11. It says this, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I set it out. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Are you hearing the success here? Are you hearing the success that God has given us is following the word? John chapter 8, verse 32. It says this. Uh, amen. Are we just frozen here on the screen? Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Keep going. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. One more verse. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When God gives you his word, it sets you free. Amen. Second Timothy chapter three and verse 16. This one should be familiar to you. All Scripture is God-breathed, all of it, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. If you don't love all four aspects of that in verse 16, then you don't yet love the full word. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Everybody say teaching. teaching. Rebuking. Rebuking. Correcting. correcting. Training. training. That's what the Word of God does for us. The Word of God is much more than just a teaching tool. It is complete in this. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book of Revelation. And if anyone takes away from this word of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book. You think adding and subtracting from his word is important to him? Why are we so comfortable doing it? Why are we so comfortable with misquoting scriptures and being okay with it? 
Why are we okay with that? I don't want to add or take away or misquote or get it wrong. I want to go and, guys, help me out. I'm having trouble. I can't quite remember it. I'd rather say that. I'm going to go look it up. I promise you that I'm going to go look it up later. Because it's important that we don't add or take away. Not even by accident. Does, do you see any of these things that say there's an intentionality about adding to it? That, that you meant to take away from it? No, it just says don't add or take away. There's the standard. You know what we're doing? We're coming up to the standard. Amen? Back to Deuteronomy 13. Are you all with me here? Verse 4. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and Him you must revere or fear. Keep His commands and shema and obey Him. Serve Him and hold fast to Him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death. Folks, you are supposed to put to death in your life anything, everything that will lead you astray. You cannot allow it to stick around. You can't, you can't nurse it. You can't hide it. You can't put it in a back room somewhere. You can't put it in the junk drawer of your heart. You've got to just put it to death. Why? Because it's trying to lead you away from the very things of God. If TV too, has too much of your attention, would you put that thing to death? Good God. If a computer in your room destroys your walk with the Lord... Get rid of it. Really, your phone is that important? No, it's not. Whatever those private things are, get rid of them. That prophet or dreamer must be put to, get to death because he preached and uh, preached rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of your slavery. By the way, when you're reading through the law, you should see how many times it says, The Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Who brought you out of slavery? By the way, I'm the one who helped set you free in the first place. You wouldn't even have a life if it wasn't for me. He keeps reminding him of that. He has tried to turn you from the way of the Lord your God. The Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. Look at the next verse. If your very own brother or your son or your daughter or your wife you love... Or your closest friend secretly entices you. So we first started off by talking about a man of God. Now we're moving to family. Uh Uh-oh. If they say to you, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your fathers have known, verse 7, gods of the people around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. (laughs) He's explaining it more and more now that we're, we're expanding it to family. He's saying it doesn't matter where the God comes from. Anything that tries to exalt itself, you have to put it down. Do not yield to him or listen to him. Show him no pity. Do not spare him or shield him. This is family. This is your best friend. If they're leading you astray, you know what you have to have? So much of a love for the things of God and the word of God that you're willing to say, I'd rather lose that friend than compromise one ounce on what God has got for us. Do not spare him or conceal him is another way to say that. Look at me, folks. If you've got family members that aren't doing right, you are not helping them by pitying them, sparing them, or concealing them from other people. It is not a work of the Lord for you to have more compassion than the God of all creation. Do you realize that God is love? Does everybody know that? You know, you know what it doesn't mean? 
it doesn't mean that we have a definition of love and God fits that definition. It means that everything that God does is loving. Everything. If you don't like the idea that a loving God would judge people, it's because you put your own definition of love and you're trying to cram God into your definition of love. What you should do is look through the entirety of the Bible and see that everything that He does and go, huh, that must be love. To put to death this prophet or dreamer must be love. To take care of family and not conceal sin must be love. To hold up a righteous standard and fight for what's right must be love. Does that fry your brain just a little bit? Does that show you sometimes how we have these ideas and we try to cram God into the ideas? But you know what he says? Hey, by the way, I'm the Lord who, God, who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of the land of slavery. You're not supposed to have anything that's on par with me. Not your fears, not your desires, not money, not an idol, and not your own definitions of what you think I should be doing. He is God. And if He does it, it is right. We must go to Him because He is the standard. You are not the standard. I am not the standard. His Word and His Spirit are the standard. It's the plumb line. It is the cornerstone. It's the capstone. It's the foundation. It is what we're supposed to base our life on. Are you doing that? Let me ask you a better question. Can you do that better in the days to come? Okay, amen. Verse 9. You must certainly put him to death. Your hand must be the first in putting him to death. (laughs) That's so harsh. That's Old Testament. Killed people in the Old Testament. That's harsh. If God is love, then he's telling them how to love their family. Your hand should be the first. Wow. Stone him to death because he tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That echo is saying the same thing each time. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. When you do it right, it causes people to have the right kind of fear and start worshiping the Lord better. Verse 12, if you hear it said about one of the towns, guess what it's going to do again? It's going to go through the town. So we went from a single person who seemed to be anointed by God to do things, but they led astray. Put to death those things in your life that seem to be godly, but are actually leading you away from Him. Put them to death. Family, friends, inner circle kind of thing. If they start leading you away from the Lord, you have to put that thing to death. You have to let those things die in your life. You have to push those things away so that, and your hand needs to be the first on it. Don't you like it when something works out and you, you were nervous about it, but it kind of works out in your favor anyway? Like you're late to work, but then, a, then, then the train arm comes down and there's a train. You're like, ha ha, what happened? Pfft, train. No, you know you were late anyway. Punk. You know you're going to be late. Now you're like, I got a good excuse now. Boom! Train. I mean, what can you do, man? You can't run through a train. Yeah, you could have been at work already. You didn't tell the train was at 8.58. And you're supposed to be at work 20 minutes away at 9 o'clock. You know, right? We like it when it's convenient for us. We like it when things work out in our life and we have something that we know we should bring up against somebody and really just kind of works out. It didn't work out. 
You've got to put to death everything that will cause sin in your life. Don't let one ounce of it be in your life because it will grow like gangrene. It will grow like a cancer inside of you and it will demolish you if you let it. You've heard it said, one of the towns. What if there's a whole town? What if there's a whole big group of people that aren't doing what the Lord's supposed to do? You know what you're supposed to do this town? Guess what? Put it to death. Put a sword to everyone Take every part of the spoils, put it in the middle of the city, and burn it. Are you willing, what lengths are you willing to go to tonight to have the Lord look at you and say, I've tested you and I've found you approved? What are you willing to put to death in your own life? We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not talking about the people here. We're talking about the things in your life that you need to let their hold on you die. Come on now. If we're actually going to go fight, and we're actually going to lay aside the things that cause us to have our, uh, like, civilian affairs, we don't concern ourselves with the civilian affairs when you're a soldier, do you? You just do what your commanding officer tells you. Come on, that's where we need to be as a church. Just a few more verses here. We're going to be done very, very shortly. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I'm not, because of the time, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures that I have on this. I'm going to focus in on Joshua 1, 7, and 8, and then we're going to wrap it up from here. There's three different words in the Older Testament that's used for success. Joshua chapter 1, let's read verse 7 and 8. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful. Everybody say successful. Successful. Wherever you go. What causes success in the kingdom? Not turning from to the right or to the left on what God has given you, from His Word. The word there is shakhal. In this particular verse, it means to act with insight, to be prudent to be wise, to act with devotion. Is that interesting to you? That was interesting to me. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be prudent and full of devotion wherever you go. That's what the Lord is defining as success. Look at the next verse. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate. Everybody say meditate. Meditate. On it day and night so that you may be careful to do a few of the things written in it. Oh, did I say that wrong? Oh, my bad. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. God wants all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. He will help us to love with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength if we commit ourselves to doing everything that He's told us to do. Everything. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The word for prosperous there is another word. It's sala. It means to have the God's presence rush into you. To have it break forth. To be made powerful and strong. We will live with prudence. We will act out of devotion. And He will come in and make us prosperous but the prosperous is there is that he gives us his spirit and we are strong enough to do exactly what he's told us to do 
Would you stand to your feet? We're going to close tonight in communion. We're going to close tonight in communion. If you're a believer here in this place, we invite you to take communion with us. If you're not, we ask that you wait because this is supposed to be a sacred moment for us as believers. We're supposed to examine our hearts before we take communion. What I'd like for us to examine tonight is have you been holding on to something, a definition of success other than what God has prescribed for you? I know it seems almost too simple to say, You have to do everything the Lord prescribes. Everything that is found in His Word, that's what you should be doing. And any other definitions that you keep binding yourself up with, any other things that you keep doing that you put on par with God, you don't mean for it to be there, but it doesn't matter whether you mean it or not because you do it. I want us to make sure that as we examine our hearts to get ready for for communion, that we're saying, Lord... We don't want to have any obvious works of the sinful nature left in our lives. With all of our hearts, Lord, we give it to you so that you will make us successful. Don't you want to have the right kind of success that you're aiming for? My God, how many people, if they just had the right definition of success and within their heart, if they quit chasing everything else, and the feeling of being successful and actually look to the Word of God to define success for your life. You're successful when you're obedient to what He's told you to do.